Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership Solutions. Uh, today we are continuing with our Women in Leadership series. We have with us today Brittany Quick Warner. She is the CEO of the Eugene Area Chamber of Commerce. We have had a chance to interview her before uh, during the pandemic. So at that time we read her bio. And I'm, I'm choosing not to do that today because we have a lot of questions for her. Uh, for the leadership ex experience she's had leading her chamber, her membership, as well as being part of the city response and the county response, the city of Eugene, and the county response on how to effectively support the economic challenges uh, they were facing at that time, they're still facing at the time, as well as some of the social issues with the, the protests and some of the other things that uh, we all experience their city, the city of Eugene, experienced it significantly different than the city of Springfield. So we're going to let her elaborate on that a little bit more. Uh, Brittany, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Mark, for uh, inviting me to do this. Well, this is a significant year-long project titled Women in Leadership, and you are no, no in, undoubtedly, you are one of the premier women leaders in our county with significant influence and significant impact. Your voice, uh, the leadership lessons learned, they matter. And we need to hear from you uh, how you were able to help lead the chamber, your staff, your members, work with your board, work with your city, work with the county, work with Sister City of Springfield and your sister chamber, the Springfield Chamber, and how all of these merge together in the time of pandemic, economic yeah. crisis, social unrest, protest, all of these things. You are in the heart and the mix of it all. And today we want to hear from you some of the methodologies and the strategies that you used as a leader, as a woman in leadership, to help effectively contend and confront with each challenge. So in fairness, or in, with full disclosure, I have sent some questions to, to Brittany. And let's go back in time, if we can. It's been almost a year since we got the news that we were in the midst of a global pandemic that we knew nothing about. Yeah. We, we entered into a time and a season where no one was sure what the response from us as communities was going to be required, much less leadership. Yeah. But once you were aware that we were in a pandemic, once you were aware that uh, businesses were having to close down, shut down, you're responding, you're managing the Eugene Area Chamber of Commerce, having to provide answers, direction to so many people. And for those that are listening, I have interviewed Vanya already, but let's talk a little bit about how the makeup of the Eugene Area Chamber of Commerce, how many are on your board, uh, how many how much staff do you have? How many members do you have? So the, the listening audience will get a, a grasp of the gravity of, of what you're responsible for. Yeah, thanks, Mark. So yeah, I can talk a little introductory about our chamber. Um, you mentioned it's been almost a year since the pandemic. Actually, I think today marks the one year anniversary of the first um, identified case of coronavirus in the United States, which is crazy to think it's been a full year. Um, 
So a little bit about the chamber. My um, our organization has uh, a little bit less than twelve hundred uh, members, and we have a staff of um, fourteen uh, staff members who focus on three main areas: um, business advocacy. So we have full time business advocacy staff. Economic development. We have um, three full-time staff working on economic development projects and member engagement and member services. And the rest of our staff kind of focus in on that membership component um, and marketing communication. So we have an incredible team um, that is uh, led by an uh, incredible board as well. We have about 18 um, business leaders who make up our, bo our board of directors. What's your annual budget that you contend with regularly? Um, so our annual income is about 1.5 million. Um, so uh, as far as chambers are concerned, you know, we are kind of a, an upper mid-level, just um, kind of growing level chamber. And for those that have not met you before, heard your story before, how long have you been in as the CEO of the Eugene Area Chamber of Commerce? Yeah, so I have been formally in this position about three and a half years now. Um, before that, I was in an interim role for about eight months. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with our chamber, we had a, a longtime CEO uh, chamber leader who was there for 25 years who passed away from cancer. I had the privilege to work with him for five years. Um, and most of that time I spent as the director of business advocacy. So my role was, you know, leading our public policy strategy, engaging with local elected officials, state, county elected officials, um, to try and advocate on behalf of local businesses. Uh, and then when Dave got sick, I um, I was appointed in the interim position. And then ultimately when he passed away, um, applied for the CEO position. Um, wasn't anything that was in my life plan in my early thirties, but um, you know, I, I was encouraged by our board to, to go for it. So it's been a, a really fun ride. It's been incredibly difficult, way more difficult than I could have ever imagined. Um, but it's really fulfilling. So I couldn't imagine myself anywhere else right now. So for those that will hear this, Brittany's undergraduate, she studied to be a meteorologist. And then at her master's degree, she got into is it was an emergency planning? Yeah, yeah, public policy and administration, but I focus on emergency planning. And so who knew that one day, the day and the hour would come to you that the education you had, it would be required of you in yeah. a storm of unprecedented experience for all of us in our lifetimes. So let's talk a little bit first things first. We're in it now. We're in, we're in the, the mess of this global pandemic. What were some of your first action steps as the economy began to be affected by the pandemic? What did you as a chamber leader, what were some of your concerns? What were the yeah. first immediate action steps you took? So um, I actually remember this very <laughs> distinctly. It was a, um, a Wednesday morning um, in March, the second week of March, and we were hosting a um, women in business or women business leaders event uh, the next day on Thursday. And, um, you know, Wednesday, we typically send out our chamber communications, um, our, our e-news, it goes to all of our membership. And, you know, there had been, obviously at that point, we'd heard about the coronavirus. We knew that it was something that was starting to um, impact communities across the country. 
But to be honest, like it hadn't really been that front of mind um, for me, for a lot of folks who aren't maybe intimately involved in like the healthcare field or something like that. And so um, it, it didn't even cross my mind that there, you know, that we might need to make a decision to, to end up canceling an event or something. And there was a period of about uh, um, probably about 12 hours where um, I think a question was raised of like, hey, you know, is this going to start impacting, you know, our, our events and things that we're going to do? And I was like, yeah, you know, I think it might, but I'm not really sure how, like, I think we're still fine for this event tomorrow. And that night, um, it's like, it's like, I don't know, the news suddenly kind of opened up the floodgates and I started reading more and more about what was going on. And the the significance of it kind of hit me um, pretty dramatically. And at that point, I, I ended up you know, contacting my staff person who was in charge of that event and just saying, Hey, I, I know this is really hard to hear, but I think we're going to have to cancel. I know the governor has not, um, has not told us that we have to, but I just like, remember this feeling of, you know, our chamber is a leader in the business community and this is a large event. And, you know, even though we don't, we aren't being told we have to cancel it. I feel like other people will feel like they can also make that hard decision if we can start the conversation about it. And so, um, you know, we did, we decided to cancel that event, which now it feels so funny to think about how significant that felt now that we're nine months into it and everything's been canceled or reworked. Um, but I do remember it was really hard call to make because we weren't told we had to just yet. Um, but it felt like the right move as far as a community, you know, an organization that's supposed to be a leader in the community is, is making that call on behalf of the community. And, um, ultimately we know that the governor ended up, um, you know, uh, mandating that large events couldn't happen. So, um, the rest of our events, you know, took a turn like everybody else's, but that was what I, I really remember. The very first thing that we did was decide to cancel that before it was necessary because, or before it was mandated because we felt like it was necessary. Um, you know, once we kind of got our head wrapped around the severity of the situation, it was pretty obvious that businesses were going to start to be impacted. And we, um, we kind of went into emergency planning mode, honestly, uh, and, and it's funny that you say that that was in my background. Cause I never, <laughs> I always joked about how I, uh, um, you know, I, I might use my degree sometime in my life, but it wouldn't be now. And it's like, I have used more emergency planning principles that I have learned, uh, in this job specifically in this year than, than I ever would have imagined. Um, but we, we kind of went into, okay, who's our constituents and how do we make sure that they're okay? And that's like one of the first things in emergency planning, you want to figure out like who's been affected by this? What do we, what do they need? And so we, um, as a staff kind of stopped everything we were doing and created a plan for us to reach out individually to all 1200 of our members to find out, you know, what do you need to know? What questions do you have? What are your biggest concerns? Once we had all the information collected, um, it was obvious there's a lot of buckets of things that people needed to know more about. And that's when we kind of launched our, our community webinar series um, back that second week of March to just bring in information and present that, um, you know, free of charge to the community uh, to get questions answered. And we were doing three of those webinars a week for, um, for three months, I think is how long we ended up that in that cadence. And then we ended up spreading them out a little bit more. But there was just so much information in that first month that people were overwhelmed. They didn't know how to like, how to navigate all of it and figure out what they needed or didn't need. So that's where we really felt like our role as a chamber was. Now, how did you as a leader, <clears throat> excuse me, how did you get your staff together to explain to them 
I know you've talked a little bit about now reaching out to your constituents, but what was your message to your staff and how did you facilitate that? Yeah, you know, um, one of the, I guess, original or kind of first things that we needed to do was to make sure our staff were okay, right? There was a lot of just like emotions and stress I mean, folks feeling really overwhelmed and scared of kind of what all this meant. And so um, we made space for that. You know, we, we convened as a staff. We had a conversation about this. I, you know, wanted people to feel free to kind of provide how they were, you know, to tell the rest of us how they were feeling and thinking. So we just had a really good idea of where each of us were at um, as far as like a mental health uh, capacity. And, um, you know, one of my staff was planning her wedding, which was obviously, you know, significantly uh, changed and altered by this. And another staff had family that, um, you know, that they were concerned about, you know, being affected by the pandemic. So everybody sort of had their own story. And then a lot of our staff had kids in school and that became a really big issue, um, that folks were really concerned about. So, you know, we kind of started by just making sure we were all okay and figuring out what we each needed to, um, to support each other. Um, and then kind of getting people in the right mindset of, okay, guys, this is like what we were made for as a chamber of commerce was to, to be on the front lines for these businesses. And so, um, really trying to help them like connect to that mission of our organization. So, you know, we had everyone in our organization, um, uh, doing the same thing, right? So from my admin assistant, um, up to myself, we were all doing the exact same activity and there was no sort of like, you know, there was no hierarchy. There was no, you do this. And, you know, it was just like, we're all in this together. This is a team effort. Our, like our time right now is we are being called to like help these businesses. And so that's what we're going to do. And, um, you know, like I said, connecting with folks to make sure that they were healthy mentally and physically, and then also getting them really connected to the mission of what we are trying to accomplish. Now, how did you prepare yourself for the rapidly changing dynamic of the moment? That's the first question. The secondary question attached to that is, what kind of conversations did you have with yourself? How did you prepare your own mindset, your own heart, your own resolve for you for what was becoming evidently clear of what was at stake? Uh, is a fair answer that I don't know if I did. <laughs> it's like, it just, you were just in that moment. I think what, what happened is I was able to lean back on, um, just some of the instincts that I had developed in like my time working emergency management, you know, I'm from the Midwest. Most of the emergencies that we responded to were natural disasters. So I spent time on the ground in Joplin, um, the day after the tornado, I was, um, you know, kind of deployed down there with our, our state, um, emergency management agency and spent a lot of time in there. And you just kind of like, you build up and you learn these instincts to, to help you make decisions quickly. Um, to me, that was one of the big things is I needed to, I needed to make sure that I wasn't overanalyzing things. Um, and I think a lot of business leaders this year have had to exercise that muscle of, you know, making hard decisions, but not, but sometimes you don't get to spend months <laughs> de debating what you're going to say or do in a certain situation. So um, that was super critical is making sure that I, you know, was kind of hyping myself up like, Hey, you can do this. You know, you don't feel prepared, but nobody does. Um, that was something I took a lot of solace into. It was easy to have imposter syndrome and why am I in this position right now? And I'm nowhere near qualified to lead this organization through this. Um, 
but the more I talked to other leaders in the community, the more I realized they all felt that way. <laughs> None of us felt like um, we knew what to do in this situation. So I think that probably gave me more, um, I don't know, it just brought me more comfort than anything was just recognizing that we were kind of in this together and that all of us were sort of learning how to fly the plane while we're in the air. <laughs> well, I think it's important for leaders to say, to acknowledge, to freely acknowledge, uh, I don't feel prepared and I don't know if I really know what I'm doing, but I'm not the only one and it's okay to say it out loud. <laughs> and regardless of whether or not we have the full, uh, whether or not we have the capacity we think is needed, we still have capacity. Yeah. And that capacity is what we have to employ or deploy into the moment, into the situation uh, to make a difference. I would just like to add, based on observation, my personal observation, that if you didn't know what you were doing, it wasn't evident. <laughs> Thank you. And if you were unsure of yourself, you gave no indication. You and Bonnie, I, I, I have been so amazed with the both of you that in... We here we we have transitioned both of our chambers to female leadership, women in leadership, and we had this inc we have this incredible multifaceted, complex storm hitting the globe, hitting our geographical regions, and the both of you have risen to the occasion as if you've been to West Point, as if you have been trained to have a military mindset, military operational mindset. This both of you have a an incredible strategically prepared mind, whether that is from your education or the work you both have done and are doing at the state chamber, your planning sessions with your boards, with your staff, whatever it is, mm -hmm. both of you have this common denominator of responsiveness, intelligent responsiveness, um, not, I don't want to say controlled responsiveness, but this directed response that is energetic and it's 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 disciplined and it's really amazing to watch the both of you work thank you mark i really appreciate that you're welcome uh what were some of the messages you dream you deem critical to communicate to the business communities you represent and advocate for um, that's a good question. You know, originally the, one of the first messages that we sent out, um, you know, I, I remember, uh, well, I should say never in my life have I read and reread and edited and asked for contribution to messages than I have this year. And it, it felt like every other week there was something really significant that, um, we could either stay silent on, or we could, you know, make sure that folks knew that we were here and we were paying attention. And, in the pandemic, I remember one of the first messages that we sent out, we were saying that, you know, we need to take this seriously as a community, that we feel like the chamber has a role to play as far as being a leader and, and you know, leading by example of how we feel like we should operate. But at the same time, like, if we can do so safely and you feel comfortable, continue supporting our local businesses. Um, and that, that was a message that, you know, we've continued throughout this entire pandemic is that without folks, um, that we don't want to incite panic, that we, um, that we need to take this seriously as a community and that the, um, the pandemic is real. Um, but there are ways for us to continue to support our local businesses and we need to kind of come together as a community to do that. And so that's really been the attitude we've tried to maintain throughout the pandemic is just this sense of, um, 
you know, of togetherness and the way that we can kind of bring our community out of this is, is to, you know, for those who are able, I know it is a place of privilege that I'm coming from, um, you know, suggesting that folks can continue to, uh, continue to, you know, purchase or buy or, you know, eat at different restaurants and shops. Um, not everyone has that privilege and I'm fully aware of that, but for those of us who do, um, they can make a big difference in our community if we can try to save these local businesses. What were some of the actions you directed your staff to take beyond email mm -hmm. or a newsletter to communicate with your members, to communicate with the community? So we spent, um, you know, we weren't afraid or didn't really shy away from some of the media communications. Um, we were getting a lot of media requests and uh, at times it, it felt easy to just ignore that call because we didn't want to put ourselves out there. Um, but, you know, I was pretty upfront with our staff. Guys, send those to me. We're going to take these and inquiries. We want to be able to provide a voice. And a lot of times our businesses just couldn't be the one out there saying those things. And so that's the role the chamber should play. Um, and so, you know, that was, you know, some messaging communication was to, to not be afraid to speak out about this. Um, you know, I felt the same way, you know, after George Floyd was murdered. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that, the social unrest as well as um, you know, one of our values as an organization is bold leadership. And so like in a time of crisis is when you either live by your values or you realize that they aren't really your values. <laughs> and so, um, to me that, that bold leadership was one that I felt like we had to, you know, we had to live by it. It's what, you know, our organization, um, really believes in. And so, you know, communicating obviously in person uh, became an issue. We couldn't really necessarily have those one-on-one -on -one meetings, um, but email and phone and keeping, you know, keeping active uh, through Zoom or whatever platforms. We did end up closing our office um, pretty quickly and, and decided that I wanted to make sure our staff were safe, but we were able to shift really easily to a work from home environment. Um, at least the technological side of it, the, um, you know, the staff dynamics and the mental health component of working from home, we have not been, uh, you know, we've been affected by that as well as an organization. Now, one thing I noticed at this, as uh, you know, for the record, I am on the board of directors for the Springfield Area Chamber of Commerce, for those that will hear this and see this. The, cha the Springfield Chamber staff has some people with amazing media, social media skills and yeah. Uh, media skills regarding different forms of Zoom or whatever. How did you prepare your staff to adjust to this new modem of communication? And how did you help them prepare for uh, the immediate expertise that was going to be required? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, um, you know, luckily I had a staff, Matt Sayer, you know, kind of jumped in really quickly and was like, Hey guys, I think zoom is a platform that's everybody's going to be using. Like let's create a zoom link or a zoom account right away. So we were able to do that. Um, we had already as a staff used um, Slack. Um, so we use that software as a communication tool for our organization. So that was a really easy transition. We also use Asana as an organization just for like um, project management, those really have helped us through this time um, is having some tools that were already in place as an organization that we were using. Um, we also went to daily staff meetings. Um, in the beginning, we were meeting every single morning for, you know, half an hour, and then a lot of us checking in um, via zoom. So we could actually see each other's faces and know what everybody's priorities were for that day. Um, and 
I think that really helped us kind of get through that first couple months of navigating this weird, like, I don't get a bump into you, you know, at your cubicle kind of environment anymore. Um, so that was, that was super helpful. We, you know, as I think most businesses have, we've, um, you know, updated, changed the way that we're doing things now. We're not meeting every single day. We're all a little bit more used to this environment. Um, but we knew, I knew that like to get us really like into this and get it working, we had to, we had to hold ourselves accountable and, and honestly seeing each other's faces every day was one way to do that. <laughs> yeah. The, the mental health component of being isolated and away from everyone had a significant toll on, on not everyone. I know a lot of people were thriving there. They uh, self-identify, I guess, as introverts. Yeah. <laughs> but for those of us that aren't introverts, uh, it's been very difficult. It's been, for me, it's been very difficult. Yeah. And there's so many different layers, right? Folks who had kids at home, folks who didn't have a good like work office setting uh, or home office setting. There was just a lot of, and people who were worried about their family and their family's health and they couldn't visit people. I'm, you know, my parents are out of town and it took a toll on me not being able to see them as often this year. So there's just so much stuff that people were dealing with this year that was just out of the ordinary. Yeah, I appreciate your comment as the different layers to what's going on. And it's not just not going into the office. It is all these other things, not being able to see family, friends, your kids can't go to school. You've got the yeah. the challenge of trying to stay home. And all of a sudden, you're, you've gone from parent to school teacher. And I, for one, Brittany, I did not do well with that transition. <laughs> I really struggled. And I've said it before multiple times on video, yeah. but I did. Yeah. I, I all of a sudden I'm at being I'm in the situation I was not prepared or skilled to you know to do and yeah. you know I, I reverted back to my military mindset because that's was the base of of uh, such extreme teaching situations and so I had to learn that my seven-year-old daughter at the time was not a soldier <laughs> and I couldn't talk to her like one yeah so it yeah was, it was a challenge it's a lot. Yeah. So how are you able to incorporate the support and skill set of your board of directors to support the mission and the chamber you represent during all of this last year? Yeah, that's a good question. So our, um, I mean, our board has been immensely helpful to me. Um, my executive committee really is a, is an advisory committee for me, a sounding board. So there was a lot of operational things that I was like, I don't, I need to some advice on this. So they were really helpful in that way. You know, our board is really great at staying at that governance level, but in this situation, I was like, all right, I need to know, like you guys are CEOs, you're dealing with this at your company. What are you doing about this? Um, so that was super helpful. Um, our board, our board chair specifically, Kale was really adamant about us doing everything that we could to set a good example for what businesses should be doing as far as taking the pandemic seriously. So we closed our offices. Um, you know, that was a hard decision because we're a member organization. Um, we actually, as a chamber, we don't have a visitor center component to our organization. So Springfield chamber does, um, but traveling County is that visitor center in Eugene. And so we don't really have an obligation to the public, which made it a little bit easier for us to make that call. Um, we are open to the public and folks come in a lot looking for information. Um, but you know, I knew I didn't want to expose my staff to that risk and um, it just felt like it was the right thing to do. So that was a hard decision, but our board really, you know, kind of backed that up. Um, additionally, you know, their biggest concern and focus was on our membership and 
businesses who couldn't afford to maintain their membership and how are we making sure that we're continuing to support them even if they're you know not able to pay um and that you know that was sort of their uh north star if you will is whatever we can do to help support the members that we have whether they are paying us right now or not that's what that's what our role is um so that was really um, it was a relief to know that our board was um, kind of on that page. Um, we also we also shifted to doing a lot of community oriented things that really benefited folks far beyond our members. Mm -hmm. And our board felt like that was the right move as well. Um, we wanted to be there and support our members and, and of course did that. But a lot of the stuff, like there's a lot of businesses out there who aren't chamber members that also needed help. And our overall economy is, you know, dependent on all of those businesses succeeding, not just the chamber. And so they're not just chamber members. So that was um, a little bit of a shift for us as far as like a strategy goes is, you know, we, we really opened up a lot of our stuff to, for anybody to attend, for anybody to participate in. Um, and I think that that will, it'll pay back eventually. I think now a lot of businesses know what we do that didn't before. Um, so yeah, I think those were some really good things that our board helped us, uh, helped us manage through. So for those that hear this and see this and listen to this and have really no idea what a chamber does, yeah. you just made the comment, we opened up a lot of our stuff, whether you're a member or not. So explain to the audience, what do you mean by that? What, what did you open up? What's the stuff? So we, you know, our job is to help make it easier for you to do business in Eugene, right? And there's a lot of levels of that. And you, I should say Eugene and the surrounding area. We, you know, our um, our members come from all over the county, um, but ultimately that means something different for different members, right? Some members, the thing that they need is marketing and exposure. Okay. So networking events are important to them because that's how they do their business. But a lot of our members, you know, that's not necessarily why they're a chamber member. And I, I think this year was really great for folks to realize that the, the value of the chamber goes so far beyond the events that we can throw or not throw. Um, you know, we have a really strong advocacy, um, you know, kind of strategic focus as an organization. And that came into play a lot this year. I mean, we were on the phone with, you know, on calls with the governor very early in this um, pandemic, helping her understand how some of the things that, you know, were being thrown around as potential mandates were going to impact local businesses. Um, you know, we, we convened really quickly with uh, partners from across the state who represent different businesses and, and have now a weekly ongoing kind of business representation uh, meeting where we talk about what's happening at the state level and how it's trickling down to the local chamber or the local um, businesses. We, you know, the economic development component of this, um, just because uh, the pandemic hit doesn't mean some of the other things businesses were doing didn't still need to get done. Um, so business retention, expansion, folks who had expansion projects, folks who need to expand now because their businesses are actually doing better than ever during this pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's just the nuts and bolts of running a business sometimes takes somebody else to help you manage it or help you kind of navigate through it. And that's really what the role of the chamber is. Um, so we do a lot of liaising. We do a lot of, you know, problem solving. Uh, and we did, we opened that up to businesses or opened that up to any business. So if you weren't a member and you called and said, you know, I'm helping, I'm having a hard time figuring out what bank to get a PPP loan through. We didn't say, well, sorry, you're not a chamber member. So I don't have the time to walk you through that. We said, okay, great. Here's, here's what we know. These are the five banks in town that are currently accepting PPP loans. 
these two, you have to be members of these two, you don't like, here's the contact that that's the kind of stuff that we were able to do, whether you were a member or not. Now, what role did the Oregon State Chamber of Commerce play in support and empowerment of the local chambers? Because that's a whole different outside relationship. Yeah, so there's a couple really key statewide relationships that we have um, with business organizations. Oregon State Chamber is one of those, and it's kind of the chamber of chambers. So, you know, we are a member of that as a chamber of commerce, and they... Um, the main resource that they provide, at least for our organization, is um, really great key communication and insight to what's happening at the state legislature. Um, you know, they have paid uh, lobbyists who are able to pay close attention to the issues that are coming up and help us navigate when and where we can make the most impact by weighing in. Um, and then the other organization is Oregon Business and Industry. Um, and that's a kind of a statewide business association. So it's not um, its members are other businesses. Um, so it's not necessarily for just chambers of commerce and OBI is, you know, I think kind of the leader in the, in the state for that, um, business voice at the legislature. And so it's been really great to build the relationships that we had, you know, already had for a long time, but this pandemic has really helped us all come together a lot. Um, just a lot more strategically and, uh, and they've, you know, they've been able to lead us through conversations, you know, here's this issue at the state level, here are the legislators that are most intimately involved. Well, three of them are in Lane County. So Eugene and Springfield Chambers, we need you to weigh in and get in touch with those legislators. So it just helps us focus our energy and our time and our limited resources to actually accomplish more. Now you've had some participation in roles at the, o at the Oregon State Chamber of Commerce or OSCC. So for those that are listening, what are some of those expanded leadership roles you've already participated in? Yeah, so um, I actually myself personally haven't been on the Oregon State Chamber board, um, but our former CEO, Dave, was. I'm actually, I serve on two other boards, um, one uh, Western Association of Chamber Execs, so that's a, a regional association Um uh, there's, you know, a dozen or more states that are involved in that. And then I sit on the board for the Association of Chamber Execs, the national kind of um, chamber association. So those two opportunities have been incredible. And just like the access to and the communication with chamber leaders from across the country, this pandemic obviously is not singular to our community. And so there's so much stuff that we were able, I was able to learn from how other communities were handling things that we could bring back to our community. It was also a really good way for us to know, you know, talking to chamber leaders in New York, I knew what they were dealing with before it was actually over to Oregon yet, right? So we had a little bit of um, insight to the things that were working or not working. And Oregon State Chamber, it, it serves sort of the same function. It helps us get better connected to other chamber leaders across the state. Um, so yeah, those leadership opportunities, I feel incredibly blessed uh, to be able to be on those two boards because um, I'm serving alongside chamber leaders who have been in the industry for decades and have an enormous amount of experience. So that's been uh, very beneficial to me. I noticed since Vani has become chair and her, her participation on the OSCC, yeah. more, the information we get is precise. Yeah. It is timely, great clarity in messaging. And I and I have noticed her her incredible leadership leadership skills she already has are greatly enhanced or even more so. How do you how do these other additional areas of leadership that you participate in 
How has that made you better? What have you recognized? You know, I think it's helped make our organization better because we're not operating in a bubble. Um, I'm able to see, you know, some of the shortcomings that other chambers have experienced if their governance isn't on lock, if their board of directors isn't focused on the right thing, if if their staff, you know, are kind of in misalignment. So that's been super helpful. I think that's really helped our organization. Um, just that plain exposure to how what other people have dealt with. Um, you know, as a leader, I think it's helped, it's made me, um, it's, it's kind of opened my eyes to the chamber industry as a whole across the country, how critical we are to community life. Um, and, and one of the reasons why that became so apparent is because, um, in the first CARES Act, uh, when they, um, authorized this PPP loan, uh, they excluded 501c6 organizations um, from eligibility. So we couldn't apply for a PPP loan. You know, we're small nonprofit like so many others in our community and um, we weren't eligible. And, and while that was incredibly frustrating and really hard to deal with financially, what it did is it made the entire chamber industry rally to communicate better than we've ever done before what our value is in our local communities. So our delegates at the federal level actually got what chambers did and understood that we shouldn't be excluded from these um from these benefits and so while the work was really hard and it felt sort of self-serving to be all of a sudden advocating on behalf of ourselves as a chamber it was just really uh inspiring to sort of see the stories and hear from businesses here's the impact the chamber has had on my business here's what you know life would be like without a chamber in our community and uh Selfishly, it was, it just felt good to, to have a reason to talk about like why the work that we do, we feel is so important. So, um, I learned a lot about how to communicate about our work from being in those positions. And, uh, yeah, it was just trying to find some silver linings <laughs> and that was one of them. Well, sometimes as leaders, we do have to advocate for ourselves and do so yeah. with confidence and courage. And, um, that's really important. Now, what role did the city, I'm going to ask you a big question here. What role did the city, county, state, or federal government play in your individual responsibilities as chamber executives to advocate and lead your members through the economic storm? And I asked that, the elongated question that it is, because I watched how you and Vani worked with the cities, worked with the county, worked with the state. Your, your uh, multi-pronged approach to bringing in economic help, holding the webinars, doing all that you did to bring as much service and support to your memberships and to the economic stability of your cities. What was that relationship like for you working with all these different players in our, your sister city across the highway? Yeah, you know, we were intimately connected with our city and county and state um, officials this year in a way that we hadn't been in the past. Um, and one of the reasons is because the business community was one of the, you know, I mean to use the word victim, but like they were one of the biggest kind of like groups of individuals who were being impacted. And since that was our constituency, it it mattered what, you know, what we were able to do and bring to the conversation. And so, you know, it the city had to be in contact with us because they needed a way to quickly disseminate information to the business community. They needed a way to be in contact with a lot of business leaders. Um, they also needed a way to really be able to take the temperature because we all know that not every single business was affected the same way throughout this pandemic. And so that was the role that we were able to play locally. Um, and then we were able to go to the city and say, this is what they actually need. Like there's a million ideas floating around about how to use 
um, stimulus funding, how to, you know, what projects are going to make the biggest impact. And we were able to come and say, Hey, I don't think that the great idea, but I don't think it's actually going to influence as many businesses as you think it is. Here's some things that we've heard folks might need. So that was really our role. Um, and then bringing information from the city and county to the businesses. Um, I was super grateful at how transparent and willing, you know, Sarah Medary at the county and Steve Mokrahyski, or excuse me, Sarah at the city and Steve Mokrahyski at the county, how willing they were to just get in front of as many people as possible and tell them what was going on. Um, I think that's a really, you know, a strong sign of leadership, in my opinion, is, is someone who's not afraid to just kind of put it all out there and, and take the heat whenever it might cause that. Um, but in their situation, they jumped at any chance that we we gave them to get on a webinar, you know, on our webinar series and talk about what the county's doing, what the city's doing, what the impacts are. So I really appreciate that about our partnership um, with our govern, government officials and, and staff is that they, they're they not <laughs> afraid to sort of uh, um, hash out the hard, you know, the hard conversations in a public way. So everybody kind of gets what's going on. Um, at the state level, I talked a little bit about our role um, in this kind of business advocacy coalition that we formed. Uh, really a role that we play at the state level frequently is trying to localize the, the decisions that these policymakers you know, are making. And so helping them understand this is how the people on the ground are going to be affected by these decisions. It's easy, I think, um, when you get to a, a leadership position at that level to sort of feel insulated from how X, Y, and Z policy is actually going to impact someone's daily lives. And that's the role that I think we play is, is telling those real stories, getting business leaders in front of our local legislators to say, this is how my businesses has been impacted. Um, and that's impactful. I think, you know, we have really empathetic uh, local elected officials and statewide elected officials. And once they hear those stories, they, they're able to make better policy decisions. Now, how do you how do you think your member your chamber memberships doing now how do you think your board is doing what's the temperature of the climate in eugene around the the business community you know i um i'm i tend to be a chronic optimist so i have to um you know i have to temper that a little bit sometimes my biggest fear is that if we're not able to get back to a place where businesses can operate at a level that they were, um, we're not out of the woods. Um, I really think that our, our restaurant and hospitality and retail industries are, um, are still hanging on by a thread. The second round of PPP is going to help a lot of folks. Um, but even in that, it's still, it's still a bandaid. It's still just a couple months worth of, um, you know, of, of revenues to try and get folks through. So, um, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about some of, you know, our, our beloved <laughs> businesses, um, that they might not make it through and that, and that March could look rough for a lot of folks. Um, you know, for our, our traded sector industries, I think we have a lot to be hopeful for. We have a lot of optimism in those sectors, our manufacturing sectors, our, our wood products, you know, Luckily, our state, um, and this was, you know, thanks to some of the advocacy that was done at the very beginning, our state didn't shut down construction. Um, so that, you know, was really helpful to not have to, to stop doing a lot of those projects. So those will have a big economic impact, um, not to mention the businesses that didn't have to shut down. 
Um, you know, and I think the tech sector, which has been growing for a long time, um, is, you know, even better positioned to continue to do that. So there's definitely sort of this, there's two sides to it, right? We have some industries who are just devastated and we're really worried about, and then we have others that, um, you know, there are other problems caused by growth (laughs) that we want to work through with them. So um, I think generally speaking, membership wise, I feel good. I'm, uh, I was, we were kind of planning for the worst and that didn't, you know, that didn't happen. We had a lot of members who still decided to stick around, pay their membership to continue to invest in, in the community that way. And we're incredibly grateful for that. Um, I think our board is in a really good place. They, uh, they recognize that our, you know, and our staff as well, our number one priority for 2021 is business recovery. Like we are still in that mode. Um, and we can't get distracted by a bunch of other stuff. Like we have to continue to focus on that. Side question around resiliency and adaptability. What have you learned about some surprising things you've learned about your staff? Oh my gosh, they are capable of so much more than they ever imagined. And I feel the same way. We actually, we had a staff retreat um, a couple of weeks ago and there was just this overwhelming feeling of just exhaustion and like, you know, like we just got out of a war, right? Um, And I mean, no disrespect folks who have gone through an actual war, but it was just like that feeling of, and we're still in it, but it just felt like when 2020 turned to 2021, um, we all sort of had this unrealistic expectation that it would just feel like, oh, okay, that's behind us. We can move on. And it's not, it's still here. We're still dealing with all the same things. So, um, you know, I had to remind my staff that they accomplished more in 12 months than we had expected to get done in three years, right? That, that, when given, you know, the opportunity, if you will, as an optimist, uh, to step up to the plate, they did it and they, you know, they hit it out of the park. And so, um, I think that's just a, uh, a, a lesson in resiliency is that like, as human beings, we are so much more resilient than we think we are. Um, and I learned that honestly, through the experience of, um, stepping as the interim CEO, you know, watching Dave, who was my mentor and, and friend, um, pass away. And I like, I learned how resilient I was through that experience. And that, that has helped me through this year because I, you know, I know that we can do hard things. Um, and, and that's been really, it's been good to kind of see the rest of our staff realize that. And a highlight of how in this time of pandemic, it's brought your board together. Um, a good question i mean i think that our board really it goes back to that like joint concern and focus on our membership and and their ability to um to serve our members and as local businesses i think that them stepping up and saying here's what i'm doing to help support the chamber you know i think it's so important that was that went a long way Um, But it also went a long way to hear when our members heard from our board that they understood that things were hard and they knew what position they were in. And so they wanted to give them grace and that, um, you know, watching our board come together in that way was really great. Let's pivot a little bit to the murder of George, George Floyd and the protests that followed in comparison 
as I've been thinking about this the last couple of days, it almost pales in comparison to what happened at the at our nation's capital two weeks ago. <clears throat> but that notwithstanding, there was a lot of leadership lessons for all of us in all of this. Now, Eugene experienced protests in a way that Springfield didn't. Mm -hmm. You experienced damages. Some of the business community suffered some damage uh, due to the, pro in the during the protest. As a leader, as a woman in leadership, as this social unrest began to spread on a national and local level, and it visited us personally in each of our respective cities, what were some of your first thoughts and what were some of your first observations as an individual and as a leader? You know, I, um, I have spent more time this year reflecting on my privilege, reflecting on, um, you know, my personal white fragility, uh, and doing, you know, the hard work of trying to understand that better. Um, and, you know, I've, I've always, um, I've always been civically engaged. I've always been sort of, uh, I paid attention to things that happen in the community, in the, in the nation, in the world. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was devastated when I, when I, you know, witnessed, saw, watched the videos of George Floyd being murdered, you know, whenever, you know, we read articles and see the, um, you know, the Breonna Taylor's murder, like there's just like, I feel for those situations, but I, I'm a white woman who has an enormous amount of privilege. And so, um, it honestly, if I'm totally frank, it, it kind of felt super distant, um, to me until it came to our community and until, you know, the riots broke out in Eugene. And then it was just like a huge awakening, um, for how deeply, <laughs> uh, people in our community, people of color in our community were suffering and how, how badly they were hurting here locally too. And I think that really was just like an incredible awakening for me that, um, that I have got to do more and better to be an ally and to be anti-racist. And, and it was hard because I was trying to figure out what the heck role do I play in this conversation as the chamber CEO it's very easy to feel like, whoa, that is not something that we need to engage in. Like that is a conversation that is important, but it, it, the, there's not a clear spot for the chamber to be weighing in. Um, and, but like when I really thought about it, I didn't believe that. I think there is a role for the chamber um, in this conversation. And so ultimately <laughs> we've had a lot of conversations since then and we're doing a lot of work. Uh, but originally, I guess my first thoughts were along those lines. There were, there was loss in your community. What what was some of that loss? What was some of the trauma to the business communities? What were some of those experiences? Yeah. So I, um, again, this is something that will be seared in my mind. So Friday night, it was late. Um, I had, um, you know, I had just kind of gotten on Facebook and was scrolling and then saw a live video of the protests that were happening. Um, and, you know, kind of just started following along from my home, um, watching some of these and then slowly but surely saw, you know, things getting a little bit more ambunctious. And when I ultimately, I ended up going to bed before things, you know, got too crazy. And then I woke up in the morning to um, a couple phone calls and texts from the city manager and the police chief. And 
turned, you know, opened up my Facebook and saw what had happened. And I just, I honestly, like, to be frank, I broke out into tears. I was just so overwhelmed, um, in sadness, uh, for the businesses, for the individuals of color who, you know, were a part of that, but that were trying to stop the violence. Like there was just so much that happened. Um, and I, got in my car and I drove down, um, to the, the properties that were, um, that were most impacted right there at the corner of 7th and Washington and, and just walked around door by door and, and tried to connect with anyone at the business who was there and who could talk just to kind of see the damage myself and, and talk to them to find out how they were doing, if there were any resources they needed, who could I, you know, who could we help connect them to, Um, I honestly didn't know what I could do walking down there, but I just felt like I just need to go down there and see these people in person because their businesses were just destroyed. Um, and you know, that's life-changing for some people who put, you know, their heart and soul into that. And so, um, after that, you know, I was in close communication with the city manager and police chief about potential additional riots that were happening that Saturday night. So then walked door to door downtown to talk to those business leaders about the potential of putting in a curfew, getting their opinions and thoughts about that. And ultimately most folks were incredibly supportive of that um, as far as the businesses were concerned. Um, And then honestly spent the next couple of weeks just in constant communication with, um, with police chief and the city manager and then the businesses to try and help them uh, prepare for, you know, something like that happening again. And there was another instance where there was more vandalism. Um, and you know, it was just sad. (laughs) It was sad to watch it all happen. Um, that Saturday after the, the first kind of riots happened, I got a call from Greg Evans, one of our local, um, city counselors. And he asked if the chamber could help provide a space for him to convene black leaders in the community to talk about what had happened and to talk about what their response was going to be. And, um, I happily, you know, offered up our chamber space for them to kind of get together and have that really hard conversation. I was, uh, privileged to be able to sit in on that conversation and kind of be a fly on the wall. And man, it was just even that experience in and of itself, sitting there listening to, um, these incredible leaders in our community have really hard conversations about what this means for, um, for them and the community and, and realizing in this room, you know, of, I don't know how many people were there, 20 or more, I knew two or three of them. And these were prominent leaders in the black community. And it was even more of a sign that like, man, we are sort of splintered in the work that we're doing and we've got to do a better job of, of really like, you know, helping each other out and getting together and knowing who each other are and what it is we're doing. So after that, um, we had a, a press conference at the chamber and, and Eric Richardson from the NAACP and Greg, um, myself all kind of stood up and said, look, this violence is not okay. Um, you know, vandalizing and, and ruining people's businesses is not okay. However, the, the cause behind this and the frustration, the anger people are feeling is real and we have to deal with that too. And that ultimately was the position that we took as the chamber is we, we like, our community has a history of racism and that's really hard to hear. Um, but it's true. And we have to address that as a community and the chamber, um, the role that the chamber has to play in my personal opinion in this conversation is when it comes to creating a welcoming and inclusive community, 
people spend so much of their time at work (laughs) in their place of business. And if they don't feel welcome and supported and included and like they belong at their place of work, they're never going to feel that way in the community. And so we have to, as employers, as businesses, be able to create environments that are safe, um, that are, you know, welcoming and, and open and inclusive to people. And I think we all in most, almost every person I talk to absolutely wants that. And a lot of us think that we are, but until we analyze and really dig into some of our, you know, our preconceived notions, our microaggressions, saying that we don't even know we're doing wrong, we're never going to get to that place of truly being opening and welcoming. So that's the role I think the chamber can help play is helping businesses find the resources that they need to have a more inclusive workplace. Um, and then having the hard conversations. And that's that's a place where I think some, you know, it's, it's an okay place for us to be. You said you weren't sure what role you could play or what role the chamber can play. But yet when the, pro- the protest and the rioting happened, you were one of the first people the city manager called and the chief of police called. And that's a recognition of authority. That's a recognition of expertise. That's a recognition of your leadership. That's the recognition of the role that you play in the community, so much so that then the Greg Evans, the city councilor, reaches out to you, help me get a find a forum so we can meet with these BIPOC leaders, these business leaders, talk about what's taking place, hear the stories, hear the pain, and formulate a response. And I remember the press conference, I remember watching the press conference, and I like how you didn't run from the media, you didn't run from the request, whether it was the pandemic or this issue, you were there, you were in the midst of it, you were speaking out, you were speaking up, you were stepping forward, you were inserting yourself, because you're a leader, Brittany. This whole series of women in leadership is to validate, encourage, inspire, exalt, and even justify, if you will, why women can be some of the best leaders, our communities, our states, our cities, our counties, our our nation, and our world could ever have, regardless of the country that that one might be in. I'm just kind of overwhelmed at the things that you said, so I'm struggling emotionally a, a little bit. You know, I, I interviewed, as you know, I interviewed the Black Unity leaders on my on this page, and hearing what you're saying now reminds me of some of the hate, hate messages that I personally received for interviewing those Black Unity leaders. And the messages were vile. And for... For a short instance, I was so angry, I almost copied and pasted the comments from those individuals with their names, and I almost made them public. Mm-hmm. And I decided that that would be unwise because I had to, you know, we have to have conversations, yeah. and that would not have benefited. I. In the moment, I realized that would not have benefited ongoing conversations, but I just I'm feeling the angst in the the emotion that you're expressing. I've really privately held on to those messages because they were so vile, 
but that notwithstanding, I'm going to move on because I don't want to get up any more upset. But now, what were some of the responses by your respective chamber to address some of these concerns that were experienced in the protest, in the in the damage that followed up, in the messages that you learned from some of the BIPOC business leaders, and that you were hearing from white community leaders, if you will, out of respect to everyone, because there was a lot of, as much as there was voices against, there were voices for. That's right. You know, um, you know, when it came to the damage, we had a really clear message that our businesses need to be able to depend on our, you know, public safety professionals to keep their properties safe as well. And so, you know, Chief Skinner and I had a lot of conversations about how do we ensure that happens, you know, better going forward. Um, when it comes to the conversation that, you know, that we kind of embraced as, as a chamber around how do we become more inclusive and how do we really address equity issues in our community, um, 99.9% .9 of the people who took the time to respond were in complete agreement. There are so many um, white business leaders out there who want to do better. And they, they genuinely are, are ready to step up. You know, they've expressed guilt and, and grief for not stepping up sooner. Um, and they are, are anxious to continue that, to do that work. I got some hate mail too. Um, I know that feeling and it, uh, it was hard not to take it personally, to be honest. Like, I know that that's something that, um, I have to be able to do in this position. And this year, more than any year, I got more hate mail <laughs> than I've ever had. And it's just, you know, you have to know that when you put yourself out there and you speak out about something like that is just inevitable. We lost some members over our, um, kind of position and our statement. Um, and I also had some really hard conversations with members who did not agree with the way that we went about it. Um, but after a conversation, we were able to sort of see eye to eye and, and there was some education that I was able to do because I had taken the time to kind of dig into this issue a little deeper myself personally. And, and I learned about some of the racist, um, activities that have happened in the past. And for people who've grown up here their entire lives and they haven't been exposed to that, it was, um, you know, it felt like someone was challenging who they were as a person and as a community, right? It was hard for them to hear that Eugene is, has a racist past because they don't know that they haven't experienced it. Um, but again, that's a perfect sign of our white privilege is that that's not something that we've had to be exposed to. So we can't deny it <laughs> just because it hasn't happened to us. Um, and, and those conversations ended up great. And our, my relationships grew with those individuals. Um, because we weren't afraid to kind of hash it out and, and have that hard conversation. Um, you know, when it comes to some of the activities that we've done since then, we actually convened a, a diversity, equity, inclusion committee at the chamber a couple years ago now um, with the goal of hosting a day-long summit on how to incorporate um, diversity policies into your business practices. And that was supposed to happen this last August. And um, I consider it such a blessing that we already had a lot of folks who we had pulled together to have, you know, conversations around that, that they were there whenever this happened. And they were incredibly helpful in helping us shape our message, helping us, helping me kind of understand my role in this. Um, you know, there are um, business leaders and, and community leaders of color who have been really, really helpful uh, to 
to point out, you know, when I've made mistakes throughout this whole thing, um, to gracefully point those things out and to encourage me to continue, um, and me, I mean, our chamber, um, and what we decided ultimately is that committee was a one day summit on this issue was nowhere near adequate. And so we ended up pivoting pretty hard and we have a really, um, robust, uh, program, you know, scheduled for this year of, of things that we're going to try to do in this area. Um, we held a couple of listening sessions last summer where a few hundred people got together and just kind of talked about what they were thinking and feeling. And, and we got to understand the black experience a little bit better, um, and right now, kind of what we're doing is rolling out um, an equity, inclusion, and diversity program. We're calling it Endeavor Eugene. We're endeavoring to do this better as a community. Um, and it, it's got a handful of different components. Um, one is a free kind of seminar series. They'll happen every other month where we'll bring folks in to talk about some of these hard issues. Our first is in February with Aisha. Um, conversations with a black girl uh, from Eugene and she is going to just kind of talk about her experience and talk through white allyship and how we can all be a part of that. Um, and then we're, we're launching a kind of cohort style diversity, equity, inclusion um, training program that a company can send someone from their staff through and it'll be a six month kind of in-depth, here's what you need to do as a company to, to do this work better. Um, and then lastly, really just trying to work on bringing community leaders together to make some pledges of how are we going to make sure that this isn't just, you know, a blip on a screen, this, you know, this social unrest and what we went through this last summer, that we have to figure out how to, how to break down systematic racism. And so it's a, a lot, and we are definitely not in a place to lead all of these things. We know that we need to come in and be a, a supporter of those groups who've been doing this for a long time, but I think that we can't really avoid the role that we can play in this any longer. So that's where we're going. And we have the incredible support of businesses. Um, Kaiser Permanente is, is coming in as a title sponsor for this because they really care about this work. And it's um, it's been awesome because as a company, they have a lot of this already um, really well integrated. So we've learned a lot from them too. Now, didn't um, your organization create and post Black-owned businesses for people to patronage, to become aware of that are in the community? How did you come up with that idea? How, what was the response to that? So actually, we, um, we had, had kind of started that conversation and realized that as a chamber, we didn't have a lot of access to... Um, a list per se. We had a lot of people coming to us asking, I want to patronize black owned businesses. We realize that we don't really collect that information about our membership. So I couldn't just go into my database and say, okay, who are all my minority owned businesses? Um, the county actually, uh, Mo Young at the county uh, is the one who I think deserves a lot of credit for pulling together that list. Um, and really, you know, we've tried to help populate it um, and sent people there to populate it. Um, to be honest, there's some people in this community, some um, black business leaders who don't necessarily want their name on a list like that. And I think that's another just sign of, of where we are as a community that, um, that, that they still don't feel safe enough uh, to, to not, you know, be felt like it was a, a target on their back. And so um, I use that list frequently. Um, and I think a lot of people have found um, that list super helpful because they want to do what they can to help um, help black businesses succeed. And honestly, one of, you know, talking to Eric Richardson with NAACP, one of the ways that we help, you know, um, bring equity to our, not just our black communities, right. Our, our communities of color 
is to help make sure that they can succeed economically. And that's, that's what we want to help do. So we're about eight months into the, you know, post social upheaval. How do you feel that your business community, your membership, Eugene's doing now that these positive action steps have been taken? I think that, um, I think most folks feel like they were able to do, and I've heard this from a lot of people, that they've done a lot of personal reflection over the last six to eight months. Um, you know, one thing that we did was this summer, I encouraged our entire staff to pick one book um, that they felt like could help them educate themselves on, you know, racial injustice. And as a staff, we all read these books and then kind of discussed what we learned. Um, and I've heard that a lot of people were able to like dig into this. And one of the things that I think um, as a community, we can't depend on our BIPOC uh, community members to do all the educating. We have to do some of it ourselves. We have to do that hard work ourselves. And so, um, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from a lot of these different readings that I've done. Um, and I think that there was a good kind of experience of that personal learning but now we still need a ton of work on how to like really integrate what we've learned into our companies, into our personal lives. Um, so, you know, we're hopeful that we'll be able to um, bring some of those resources to businesses so they can actually operationalize what they've learned. Um, Cause just learning it, you know, is good. It's a good place to start, but we have to do something differently in order for it to, um, to actually change. So. I want to pivot a little bit. We got about 15 minutes left or, or 17, 18 minutes maybe. I want to talk about you as a leader, as a woman in leadership. You've explained some detail regarding how you've been developing your staff, developing the community, working with the community, working with elected leaders, working with city manager, chief of police, uh, elected leaders from local municipalities to county to the state. What have you learned about yourself as a leader? Oh man, I feel like, I'm just gonna get real vulnerable here with you. Well, one, I know that I'm an incredibly vulnerable leader and, and I've learned to embrace that, um, that, you know, I value transparency and I tend to, um, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve sometimes. Uh, and that that is a positive thing that I should embrace. Um, and also I need to know that that, you know, also can cause some shortcomings in my leadership. So I have to learn from that. That's definitely something I've learned. Um, you know, I, this job, this position, um, it's hard because I, I am this job. I am the chamber. And when I say something, when I speak out about something, um, people are going to associate it with the chamber, whether that's what I want them to associate it with or not. And so, um, I've, I've struggled sometimes to figure out how much of my own kind of personal, um, style and, and personal kind of, um, my personality to, to bring to this conversation, you know, social media, is such a good example, something that I feel like my generation uses as a communication tool, just as much as, you know, anybody, just as much as anything else. And so, I have to, I have to think twice about everything I say, everything I post, and that's hard sometimes because I have a lot of opinions about what's going on in the world, but I have to think uh, more strategically when I say what. 
Um, so that's something I'm really trying to figure out how to navigate. Um, to be honest, as a new leader, I want to be authentic and I want to be, you know, to feel like I'm being vulnerable, but at the same time, like sometimes that means I can't say some stuff, um, because of my position. So where am I going with that? I don't know. I'm still learning a lot. That's kind of where I'm going with it. There's definitely some pieces where I haven't quite figured out how to both be authentically myself and make sure that people aren't misrepresenting those things as the chamber's position on something. Um, and it's, you know, there's, there's just a lot there <laughs> to unpack. And this year was one of those years where people had a lot of opinions. Um, emotions were really high. Uh, the pandemic, the social unrest, the political environment that we're in, um, People are very, you know, we all are, we're feeling pretty divided right now. And uh, as the chamber, I believe our job is to be the sane center. <laughs> and how do we bring people together instead of, you know, uh, alienate folks on either side? So uh, it's a role I appreciate and I like. I'm a very moderate person in general. So it comes naturally to me to kind of take that moderate position. But, um, yeah, just representing a large group of folks is is a learning curve. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely still learning about that. What would you say to a group of young ladies who are looking to you to help them grow in their leadership, their aspiring young women, growing in leadership, looking to develop in leadership for their next level or next assignment? What would you say to them regarding the counsel of vulnerability and safety and in, in, yeah. with respect to communication? Um, I, I would encourage folks to make sure that they, um, if you get into a position of leadership, it's, it's going to be a lot harder for you to feel like you can have an authentic role if you don't genuinely believe in what you're doing. Um, so, you know, don't, don't, put yourself into a position where you're leading an organization or a, a company or a, you know, even a group that you don't fully have your heart into because, um, <laughs> it's going to be really hard for you to be authentic in that role if you don't. Um, and then the other thing that I would just say is I think as women, we, we tend to avoid situations where we don't feel hundred percent prepared. Um, or we kind of count ourselves out for opportunities that we don't feel 100% prepared for. And the reality is no one is 100% prepared. So we have to stop sort of like, um, you know, excluding ourselves from those opportunities uh, before somebody else even has. You know, I learned that, you know, in this position, Mandy Jones at Oregon Community Credit Union, I would not be in this position without her. She pulled me aside, you know, and said, look, I know you don't think you're ready for this role, but I think that you should apply for it. <laughs> and I needed someone else to do that. And I think sometimes that's like, that's definitely, um, I don't know, it's a shortcoming that I feel like a lot of folks struggle, struggle with. Um, but you, you'll figure it out. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I'm also kind of the person that like life is short. If you don't figure out you crash and burn and you have another opportunity that'll come up <laughs> after that. So I don't know. I think it's sometimes it's, it's worth the risk. Cause like I said before, we're way more resilient than we ever imagined ourselves could be. And so sometimes you won't ever figure it out till you're actually forced to do it. So. What would you recommend to, you know, anyone wanting to grow in leadership skills and understanding, but especially young women regarding different types of 
books that they should be reading to support in that uh, pursuit? Well, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I I was a big fan of Lean In. I think it helped kind of uh, help me understand some of the um, the ways that women aren't represented in our in leadership positions and ways that we could you know, do that better. I, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. And I think her, her teachings on vulnerability and um, shame have really helped sort of shape the way that I approach leadership. Um, so I think she's a really good resource. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, I've done a lot of sort of like leadership development in my, in my short years. Uh, and a lot of it has been, um, you know, by studying and reading. And obviously now I'm in a leadership position, so I'm doing some learning on the job. Um, but really kind of understanding your own personal leadership style is is the thing that I think has helped me the most. We have most recently engaged um, in uh, staff leadership and, and personality development uh, through a process called or through a company called Giant. Um, it's an online training platform. We're actually rolling it out to our membership this um, into the community this year as, as a leadership development training program. But we went through it as a staff together and man, it's been super helpful for us to understand what are my leadership traits? What are my styles? What ticks me off? <laughs> what, what should my staff know about me? Um, and there's these, this five voice assessment, which I found to be pretty accurate. Um, and it's given us a ton of really tangible tools to use as staff. Um, once I kind of, you know, you know, I've taken a bunch of personality tests and things like that, but once you kind of know what you like, know yourself better, um, it just makes it so much easier to figure out what you need to grow in and what you need to, um, you know, lean on others for, right. <laughs> um, in this five voice assessment assessment, I'm a pioneer and it means I'm future thinking, I'm strategic thinker. Um, I kind of like big picture strategy, uh, and one of the other voices is a guardian. And those people are detail oriented. They like checklists. They want dates. They want to ask a hundred questions about this big idea that I've thrown out. I know who my guardians are on my team now. And so I can go to them. Here's my big idea. Ask me all the questions that need to be asked in order to get this actually to operationalize. So, um, it's been a really awesome tool for us to use to like actually work better together. Um, so yeah, those are some of the books and some of the tools that that I've used. Why is it important for young, aspiring young leaders or aspiring leaders? Let me let me not use the word young; that's so subjective. But aspiring leaders, no matter who they are, to consider the Eugene Springfield Leadership Program. Oh my gosh, that's a really great question. So, I had the. Um, I had the role of the staff liaison for that program when I was in the director of business advocacy position for five years and every single year. So I, I essentially went through it <laughs> three different times, um, not as a cohort member, but as a staff person. And every year I learned something new about our community. Uh, there's just something about the format of that program that helps you dig deeper into what it is that what makes our community tick, but then it also helps you like dig deeper into like what my role is as a community member um, and how it, it just helps you understand how you can actually influence some of the things happening in our community. And so it's an empowering program. Uh, it also is really, really fun to watch these cohorts get so close to each other over the last, over, you know, a series of nine months and then continue to build on those professional relationships well beyond the, the program. So 
that's a huge benefit. It's just building professional relationships with people that you trust and who've gone through, you know, the same experience as you. There's, um, it's hard to replicate it. What are your in closing final thoughts you'd like to share? Words of encouragement, message of hope to your fellow leaders all around you. What would you, how would you like to encourage them today? You know, something that I've really been, um, I guess, kind of meditating on, if you will, um, is this concept of both. And, um, I feel like as a, as a community, as a country, um, as a world, we are so polarized right now. And it feels like everything is either yes or no black or white, this or that, but it's just not true. There are so many opportunities for us to say yes, that, and this, <laughs> like both of these things are true and real. And, um, and, and your experience is just as valid as mine. And just because we have different experiences doesn't mean you're wrong and I'm right. Um, and, and it's, I don't know, it feels easy to say that, but I think that there's so many opportunities, um, to actually figure out how to make that work, right? So when it comes to a policy issue, you know, we're talking about, you know, natural gas and the future of natural gas in our community. Yes, the chamber is absolutely supportive of sustainable um, practices and of addressing global warming and the role that we play in climate change. And also we know there's economic implications to every decision that we make. Um, and so we have to weigh both those things. We cannot have it in either or, um, you know, same thing with our political differences, right? I, uh, I come from a very long line of really strongly conservative individuals. Um, and I am very, you know, close with a lot of people who have very liberal policy views and those things are not always <laughs> totally opposite of each other. Um, and you as an individual can have opinions in both of those camps that are valid. So it just, I don't know, I, I just feel like there's just room for us to agree that we can both have true and valid feelings that are not necessarily the same. <laughs> um, so as a community, I don't know, I just hope that I, um, that we can challenge ourselves to find common ground and to not dismiss each other's experiences um, just because it wasn't our own. Um, and I think it's going to help us get further down the road than if we were going to continue to stick our heels in the mud and, and think that it's either my way or the highway. We're officially into three quarters of the first month of 2021. Who would you like to say thank you to for helping you successfully navigate as a leader this year, this first year of this pandemic and all the other areas of stresses that we've talked about? My husband, <laughs> um, I, uh, it's been, it's been super fun for us to be working both of us from home together. We've spent more time together than ever, but it's also been, I think really eye opening to him to sort of see what it is I do all day long, every day. Um, and he's, I mean, he's just been a rock. He's been able to navigate, help me navigate through some of the really personal attacks that I've gotten and help me, you know, make sure that I, I know it's not personal and I need to, um, you know, I need to be able to brush some of those things off, but 
you know, we've, we've had some personal challenges this year as well. Um, you know, some health challenges that we, we kind of got through together and I can do it without him. He's the, the number one person in my life who keeps me sane. And so, uh, he's my big thank you. And then the second would just be the staff. Um, our, our staff are so incredible and they, are incredibly gracious of me. They, you know, I am not shy about the fact that I'm still considering myself a new CEO and I'm learning. Um, and they're, they're just, they always provide grace and I really appreciate that. Um, and they work their butts off and that's also really helpful. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us today, Brittany Quick Warner, the chief executive officer for the Eugene area chamber of commerce in our ongoing series this year, titled Women in Leadership. Brittany, thank you for such heartfelt expressions, for sharing your heart, wearing your heart on your sleeve today. Thank you for your vulnerability. Uh, thank you for giving us access to who you are as a leader and for helping all of us become a little bit better today than we were before this opportunity to speak. Well, thank you, Mark. I really appreciate what you're doing. This is, this is really, uh, it's been an honor, so thank you. Very good. Well, you take care of yourself as a leader, and we will be in contact with you very soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.